We've been told to live like Jesus, but have we learned how to truly do that? The Bible is full of nuance and truth that can be lost in translation if read without context. And we want to help you navigate it. This is the Icon Podcast, a community of trained readers reflecting Jesus with Michael Burns and Jason Alexander, and I'm your host, Gianna Hearn. Today, we are starting our study of the gospel according to Mark, and we actually will be starting in chapter 12. We'll explain why in this episode. Unfortunately, due to other work obligations, I will not be here for the remainder of the show, but Michael and Jason definitely have got it covered. So, Michael, take it away. All right, here we are. Jason, we're we're jumping into season four. This is, I think, episode 94 of the podcast, but it's our second episode of season four as the Icon Podcast. Right. You know, it is exciting. I can tell you're as excited as always. Um, Unfortunately, we're, we're playing down... Uh, a player today. Uh, our schedules just were crazy this week, and we could, we literally could not work out a time where the three of us could all uh, sort of join in and and sync our schedules up at the same time. So G is not with us in the discussion today. We'll miss her, and and we're actually you're playing hurt today too. You wanna you wanna talk? Yeah, about I mean it's that? my it's it's my fault. I mean not even <laughs> ZenCaster or Zoom could could fix our scheduling problem. And you might notice as I'm talking, <laughs> I I, sound, I do notice you look like you got punched in the face a few yeah, times. Dude, so <laughs> <laughs> thank thank God that's not what happened. But I I have I had uh, to go to the dentist and have a crown replaced. I'm like hyper vigilant about my teeth. Yeah. So there was nothing actually wrong. It was just a crown was fitted wrong and I had to have that taken off and a new one put back on. So my mouth, right? I just can't, I'm like fresh out of the dentist chair. Right. Your mouth and is, if I, the, I just wish that we were doing a video where everyone could see how uh, like lopsided your mouth is right now. It, it feels, um, I mean, if you've had a cavity or you know how this feels like it's, it's terrible. I mean, I, I can see the drool, but you sound good. <laughs> well, you sound good. Yeah, I might so. be. I hope I'm not drooling. I wouldn't know. I can't feel anything. So, <laughs> oh, anyway, well, I'm I'm glad you are persevering and and sacrificing because I know you're. In, yeah, in thank a bit you. Of pain, you guys so. have persevered with me, so thank you. No, I. You know, it'll be great, and you know, for those who think that Gianna is the best part of the podcast, which might be most of our listeners at this point. She uh, will yeah, be they're, back they're with right. us next week. Yeah, yeah they're, they're probably right. Yes. Uh, <laughs> right. We've discussed that internally, right? That, yeah. Uh, she's she's definitely the favorite and, and we're okay with that. I think we're okay I'm with probably, that, right? I'm used to that. Yep. Yeah. We've learned to accept that. Yeah. Um, that's fine. So, but hey, we are going to start our series on Mark today, and we're going to start in a really logical place, right? We're going to start in Mark chapter 12. Uh, <laughs> right. right. <laughs> Beginning our study of Mark in chapter 12. Right. Which, I mean, everybody was probably already right. turned there anyway. Yeah, why didn't you begin in chapter 12? Right. I mean, it <laughs> goes without saying. It's a no-brainer. Yeah. Now, because what we're doing is we're kind of introducing, uh, we're still on the idea of our hermeneutic and how we're reading and the importance of reading in a, in a specific, a trained way, a, a kingdom-honoring way. And so we thought that some of those themes were introduced really well in chapter 12. So this is almost a, a pre-introduction to our study in Mark, and then we're going to jump in next week. But that also gives time because I would encourage those of you who are listening and planning to study along with us to, you know, take the next few days or whatever it is when you're listening to this uh, before we get into Mark chapter one and read all the way through Mark, right? I think that's, mm, that's a good one idea. of the things that we want to really train people to do is, and I love this saying, I, it's not original to me, but um, it, it, in fact, I think the first place I heard it was maybe Dan Kimball in one of his books, okay. but it's never read a Bible oh, verse. Kimball. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. right. Right. Um, totally. 
Yeah. And what that means in never read a Bible verse is we have such a tendency to read uh, Bible verses decontextualized. To right. We talked about that last week, the problem of decontextualization. Not that you can, can't ever look at one verse at a time, but you want to read a whole book that, that I think that's a normal way that you want to study because you want to train yourself so that even if you're just looking quick at one verse or one passage, right. you're automatically contextualizing it. You understand yeah, a little totally. bit, right? Of, yep, yep. of what's going on, where you're at, what the, you know, some of those basics in contextualization are because Otherwise, you can do real damage, you know. And I, Jason, I, I, I use this example a lot. I say, imagine if you came to my house and you saw a note on the table that was written to my sons that said, "Make sure you put your coat on before you go outside." <laughs> now, if you saw that and you were like, "Whoa, that's weird," because it's it's like June and it's ninety degrees. Why are you making your children put their coats on, you know, it might help to find out, you know, actually I'm just messy. And that note's been sitting there for six months. I wrote, I wrote <laughs> right. it in January. I was wondering like, is there an explanation for that? Right. Like, you know, you, I wrote it in January yeah. Yeah. and it made sense then. So if you contextualize it, you say, okay, well, what he's actually doing there yeah. is giving them wisdom advice to dress appropriately for the weather. So if it's mm-hmm. June, the way to apply that letter of make sure you wear your coat when you go outside might switch to actually don't wear your coat, but put on sunscreen <laughs> right. and a hat right, or right, something, right. right? That's a great um, example. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's what we want to learn to do with scripture. And and I would like to point out that I am not messy and there's no way I would leave a note sitting on a table for six months. But well, I know your wife wouldn't. Um, Well, and you know, I get persecuted around my house for like anytime anybody loses anything, they claim I threw it away because. Oh, is that right? Yeah, because I go, I don't, I, I don't like clutter, so I do throw See, things away. I, 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 I would be true in my case. I did throw it away. It's but I have learned the hard way to not <laughs> throw away things that I don't know what they are. Because at one time, my I wife got like that, a yeah. check, and I, oh. I in the mail, and I, I threw it away. Um, yeah. And who cares? A significant. Less clutter. Yeah, <laughs> right. I was like, it was just in a stack of papers. I didn't know. Yeah. So now I've learned to like be careful with that or just make piles of things and yeah, say, hey, yeah. go through your stuff. But I still get accused of uh, of throwing things away. So as do I only rightfully so I get accused because I did it. Um, I, I, I love what I love what you're saying, um, though. I, just, just a quick a quick note, like it's it's. um in the, especially like, for example, New Testament writers, like they are so soaked in, in this biblical texts, right? I mean, they're just, they're coming up all over the place. And, right. and so I, I feel like to, to get your head around the way, uh, say in Mark, a passage might be used, you have to have spent time, not just with the verse Mark, uses, but the setting and the way it was interpreted. And and so to begin to apply passages means you have to have like a framework or a, a like you have to have reference points. And, and uh, that comes, unfortunately, in our, in our quick fix uh, moment of studying the Bible, that only comes through sustained reading over and over and over and over and over until right. uh, you start to look at passages and you, you start to be able to put it together because the whole thing is, is in your mind. Um, I find that exciting. That's overwhelming for some, but I think that's the goal here. That's the project well, of life with the Bible. Yeah. A lot of us want it to be easier though, don't we? That's, that's part of the problem. We want to just be able to turn, open up, read right. a section for today get some inspiring, you know, message or challenging word for the day. And then that's it. Do it all in a nice little neat package and move on. And that's just not the way the Bible operates. Right. Yeah. And so what we want to do with this podcast moving forward is, is 
to, you know, as, as our motto is trained readers reflecting Jesus, we want to become trained readers, not to the point to discourage anyone or think like, Hey, you can't do this. You've got to get a Bible degree to be able to read it. That's not it at all. This is anybody can do this, but it does take some work. It does take some training. And so that's, that's kind of what we want to do. So let's, let's dig into our passage. Shall we? Uh, So we're going to start in Mark chapter 12, verse 18. And Jason, the first point of our our hermeneutic of expectancy is, uh, uh, first point is reading glasses on, right? So here we go. We're going to read the passage and look at what it actually says. I'll go ahead and be the reader for today. Okay. Uh, Verse 18, it says, Then the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up his offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died, leaving no child. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be, since the seven were married to her? Jesus replied, Are you not in error, because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now about the dead rising, have you not read the book of Moses and the account of the burning bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. Mm -hmm. Now, Jason, if I'm reading that for my quiet time, and I'm not a trained reader, and I'm just sort of reading through the book of Mark. I come away with that with two thoughts. One is, well, that was not the most exciting passage for a quiet time. (laughs) Maybe, maybe I'll look forward to the next section. Ooh, the greatest command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. That sounds much more exciting and challenging, encouraging for the day. Or the second thought is I look at this and I go, well, I guess what I take away from this is that we won't be having sex in the resurrection or getting married is that is that the thrust <laughs> of this passage that's right wow that's confusing wow. Okay. and yeah. not very exciting um for <laughs> my my quiet time so but that's what the passage says now yeah. obviously yeah. if we're just looking with our reading glasses on that's all confusing. Like, first of all, what kind of crazy situation is this? One woman marrying seven brothers. That mm-hmm. kind of breaks the bro code. You know, like you don't you don't mess around totally. with your yeah, you know, yeah. all of that. Um, so it just it seems weird and it's Sadducees and it's you know, age to come and all this stuff that is like way out of our context. So we need to go to the next step, obviously. So the next step is it's time to get in our time machine and find right. out what's going on in this passage. What is the context? So, so Jason, help us out here. What what do we need to know about this passage? When we dig in, what what's there for us? Yeah, um, so much. Um, hang on one second. Is that Hannah I hear hollering in the background? Yes, Jason is having uh, one of those grandparenting moments. He his uh, his wife is out of town, and so he is uh, recording the podcast okay, while at the same time parenting his uh, adorable little daughter Hannah, who I can is do it all. She, she is watching Frozen Two right now. No, she's looking at Sing to. Oh, um, Sing at, to. It's kind of a treat. Actually, that's a, another story in itself. She hit rent. Uh, she pulled up and Sing to. The picture came up on Amazon Prime, oh. um, and she grabbed the remote and hit play. 
which meant rent, uh, and it was twenty-seven dollars. Oh. <laughs> so, so we get to watch Sing for the price of twenty-seven dollars for twenty-four hours. So that's I'm fantastic. Gonna make, I'm going to make her watch it five thousand times just to get her money. No, she she she's a she's a good little kid. She's she's watching a little Sing, and I'm uh, right right next to her here, so I'm not neglecting her. That's beautiful. Um, Okay, so thank you. I'm sorry. All right, let's Time see. Time machine. We're jumping Time into machine. the past. Okay, yeah. So, um, uh, well, yeah. There, there is a a a, a bunch of really um, important questions I think we could ask. Um, and th- this this little uh, passage breaks down pretty nicely into th- three basic parts. Uh, the first sentence is uh, a narrator uh, introducing the situation. You know, the Sadducees, you know, approach Jesus, and then you have the Sadducees um, offering a. It's a, it's a kind of um, it's a, it's hypothetical, or it's a hypothetical situation, um, and it's uh, it's kind of a puzzle. Um, uh, and then you have Jesus's response. Um, but so my first question in trying to make sense of some of this passage would be, what is a Sadducee? <laughs> right. <laughs> because like, you know, I think I think that colors in some of uh, some of what's going on here. Um, and the answer to that question and Michael, feel free to to uh offer something i'm not aware of but were they were uh, they depressed jason they're sad you see yeah exactly <laughs> see see you got the dad right yeah. you didn't even yeah. need that yeah i i knew it i i has i almost said it but uh, <laughs> it's hard not to every time um so yeah they're sad we know that but but not a ton is known about uh, Sadducees. Um, they they appear a couple times in the New Testament, um, in in pretty loaded contexts. Uh, they 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 appear in Josephus both in his Jewish Wars and yeah. Antiquity of the Jews. Um, in fact, most of what we know about the Sadducees comes from Josephus from the Bible. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it the, comes the Bible from and Josephus and, yeah. and Josephus. That's about it. And so everything else has kind of been uh, you know. Uh, colored in um because there, but, let, let me just interject here and say yes, there's not nearly as much known about first century israel outside of the bible as we would right. like or as maybe totally. people think and and that can cause problems sometimes because we know so much more about second century and later uh totally. jerusalem and israel after the rebellions and they were destroyed, you know, both in 70 and when's Bar Kokhba? Is that 135? The, the rebellion? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you have those two um, specific rebellions destroyed, you know, in 70 AD and conquered again in, in the Bar Kokhba rebellion in the early second century. And so we don't know a lot. So much was destroyed that we don't know a lot about the time of Jesus and what actually was going on. And that leads some people to then take second century Judaism and project it back into early first century. Totally. And we don't, we don't know for sure that that's the case. So there's not a ton that we do know about the Sadducees, but we do know some. Yeah. And you could over, I mean, Pharisees would be another example where you can overblow, um, uh, uh, you know what they believed based on how they appear in the New Testament, and that that can be uh, that can be um, I don't know dangerous is the right word, but it, it, it's it, it might not be a wise move. And so you know you want you want to be sensitive with that. I think you know uh, you know the, the the Sadducees are are known uh, to be uh, it seems at least from what we, what we have available, uh, though they didn't write about themselves. So what, what's said of them is a religiously cons- more of a religiously conservative group, um, uh, adhering, uh, probably only to what, what we would call the, the Pentateuch or the Torah, uh, the, the first, uh, five books of, uh, of the Bible. Uh, and that is of course a, um, the work of, of, of Moses, as we see in this passage. 
it's associated with Moses, uh, all five books. Um, so, uh, so, so that, that's a question. And, and we're told here, um, in Acts two, they don't hold a belief in not just resurrection, uh, from the dead, but really any kind of unseen, uh, unexplainable <laughs> realities. And, and so they have a they have a particular axe to grind, it seems here, with the resurrection. But here's what's really interesting: um, they get their belief that there is no resurrection, this general resurrection from the dead. They get that from reading the Bible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's where they discovered that uh, that doctrine or that that teaching from their particular and, hermeneutic. Yeah, from their re- on their reading of scripture. Now, here's the thing. We'll come to this, but you know, Jesus says you don't know the scriptures, and I want to say, are you sure? Because these guys are probably like specialists in biblical interpretation. I think the Bible is exactly what they did know, <laughs> and Jesus <laughs> says you don't know the scriptures or the power of God, and those two phrases are important in interpreting in, in interpreting scripture. I think. Um, but so the question is, okay, who are these Sadducees? But then. But then also, is this a sincere question? And mm-hmm. it seems to me like it's a trap of some kind, um, given what we what we know about the Sadducees. And I don't know, I might the tone might, you know, I might be biased in seeing it as a trap. But nonetheless, it's a really good puzzle. And it's a great question. You know, this whole like a, a brother dies um, and he doesn't have a have a child, um, and his wife is now, uh, you know, she's a widow and she has no children, and the the next brother in line marries him, and the same thing happens all the way down seven times. Whose is she in the resurrection? Um, whose wife is she? Uh, it's a good question. Um, so so I think those. Just identifying that, who's asking and what's being asked can be really important in peeling yeah. back some of the, uh, the, the, the layers here or, or getting at meaning. And, and it kind of strikes me, Jason, correct me if I'm wrong, like one of those questions where somebody would ask and then sit back and fold their hands across their chest That's with a very feels. satisfied look. That's how it feels, Knowing yeah. that you can't answer it. You know, it's one of those like you, you're on campus or something and somebody will come up and be like, well, if God is only good, why did he create evil, you know, or something yeah. like that? Yeah. You know, right. Why did God make Satan knowing he was going to do the things he did and then sit back and like, you know, watch you struggle. So they they bring up this question is kind of like, there's no way, like they probably right. used this this scenario many times before. With other Pharisees, yeah, who yeah, did believe in people resurrection. down. This totally. is their go-to shutdown. We're going to show like you. That. Yeah. that we're in charge here and knows what we know what's going on. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's the, the tone I, I, I'm picking up on as well. But the, 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 the next question for me is, how does their little puzzle about uh, a, 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 a widow um, seven times over, which is an absurd situation, like, the chances of that ever happening are, you know, zero. That's insane. Right. Um, but, but I guess it could happen. Um, but how does that puzzle undermine resurrection? Uh, because it seems like that's the, what doesn't seem like that's what they're driving at. Right. And and so they're they're doing something really creative here. They're 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 referring to or paraphrasing um, uh, what's known as Leveret laws from the book of Deuteronomy. And that's in Deuteronomy chapter five, chapter 25, I'm sorry, verses five through 10, where it describes the duty uh, to provide seed. Uh, And seed, of course, is a a way of talking about children, uh, talking about having sons, um, to provide seed for his deceased brother because he didn't have kids with the woman and now he goes to the grave without a future. And so mm-hmm. this is a law which protects the family 
it protects the the widow so that because to be barren is to be you know scorn at some point you you can see this in in the book of Genesis there are three the matriarchs of Israel right three barren women one two three Sarah uh, Sarah Rebecca and Rachel each of them struggle with fertility and having children and and Rachel even says give me children or I'll die <laughs> like it it's a it's a very uh, vulnerable place to be, to be childless. And since there isn't really in these, these, uh, this, these early parts of the Bible, like this full-blown vision of life after death, like we have in the New Testament, I don't know if full-blown vision is the right language, but you don't get a, a sense that there's resurrection, that God is planning to uh, raise up individuals bodily from the grave after they die. So this law is really designed to protect the family. It's designed to protect the bereaved and the barren. It's a, it's a law of, of love in, in many ways. Um, so they're, they're bringing that up, but they're also playing on, and there's some, some quotation here from Genesis chapter 38, um, which is the story of Tamar. Um, uh, and there, that's a, pretty scandalous story. That's worth going and reading. That's a fun story. But they're blending these two, these two passages to, to make the argument that if there was resurrection, why would we have the leveret law? Why would we have this concern for carrying on the seed if there was a resurrection from the dead? Mm. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I, I think there's a... Um, Sorry, and let go me ahead. just say yeah. no. I was just going to say this. That I, I think it's also important to to stress that because uh, I don't think you said this that the Sadducees only believed in the first five books, right? They they rejected uh, yeah. uh, the rest of the writings as uh, newfangled progressive stuff that yeah. uh, was not the word of God. So they only took Genesis, Exodus. Leviticus numbers and Deuteronomy as the word of God. Yeah, that, that is the assumption. Yeah, I, I mentioned that, but I didn't drill down into it too much be, be, because it's unclear how they dealt with every, everything else. But yeah, it seems like th- this is their Bible. I mean, the, yeah. these first five books, this, this is what they're studying. Yeah, And that's why I'm saying it's bizarre to say you don't know the scriptures because uh, they did. They did. They did seem to know the scriptures. Yeah, they so knew them well. Means, yeah. Um, so, but... Um, but yeah, so th- this this puzzle um, really puts Jesus in a position where now he has to defend resurrection. Um, so uh, I don't know if any of that makes sense. Hopefully, it does. Um, no, it does. But, but so let let me ask this, and if you're ready for this question, is why why are we starting our study in the Gospel of Mark here? Okay. Yeah. Okay. No, I'm ready. I, and that that's. I guess what I'm driving at here. Yeah. So okay, right. let me, let me continue. Jesus's response gives, yeah, gives yeah. Uh, gets us there. So um, yeah, the, the, the Sadducees assumption, it, it seems is that Moses wouldn't have prescribed these laws about widows who don't have children. If there was a resurrection for them, these leveret marriages were needed precisely because that's how the family continued. And for Jesus, it feels like the leveret laws were more like commands which protected the bereaved and the childless. And they were given, these commands were prescribed for those who live under the tyranny of death. It's for those who live in a death-filled world where it feels like death has the last word. And so there's two two different visions operating here about about these these laws. Mm. Um, so so Jesus Jesus's response is is brilliant but dense, and it's the way that Jesus reads their Bible, which would also be his. Uh, the, that that language is maybe slightly anachronistic, um, but yeah, well, it is. It's their book. It's called the Book of Moses, right here in the passage, but. Uh, Jesus's response is brilliant because he reaches for 
a passage that they would have um, understood to be uh, scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess we didn't talk about the there's no marriage in heaven stuff. Uh, I don't know if you want to mention any of that because you mentioned how you're really bummed that you can't have sex in heaven. <laughs> no, I didn't. I, that's not what I said, Jason. I oh, said, okay. <laughs> uh, um, no, that was the theoretical eye who is having uh, a quiet time. Oh, uh, I got you. Right. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so uh, Jesus says you don't know the, the scriptures of the power of God. And he describes the resurrection because that was their whole, whole uh, question. Um, whose wife will she be? And Jesus says, says effectively, I'm paraphrasing, but the future, God's future, is does not operate under the same constraints that history has up to this point. So it, it's kind of like the, there's, there's continuity between the present and the future, and then there's discontinuity. So Jesus's whole thing is the, the laws given to those who live under the tyranny of death will not govern life in the resurrection. And that's the leap that the Sadducees weren't able to make. And that's what he means by you don't know the power of God. You, you don't know the Bible, actually, because of that. So mm. they, they could have this detailed analysis and insight into the text, but Jesus says it didn't lead you to understand the power of God. And therefore, yeah. you don't know the text. And so this, this assumption that the future will be exactly like the present is a faulty assumption, according to Jesus. And Jesus goes on to show how he got that from reading the same Bible they've been reading. And yeah, which is, is brilliant. What, which is it's brilliant. brilliant. It, it's, and it's, it's inspiring. It's helpful. And I think, I think that's what gets us more toward this. You know, we've called it the, the, the hermeneutic of expectancy Gerald Jansen, in his paper on this passage, calls it that, what does he call it? Resurrection hermeneutics. I like that, too. Yeah. But, but it's, it's looking at the text and, and being open to what God might be doing. Okay, so his answer. Here's how he gets there. And then, and then I'll shut up so we can talk about the approach. Um, but Jesus quotes the passage from Exodus, where Moses is encountering the Lord in a burning bush. And it's, it's, an, it's an odd place to turn to if you wanted to, to offer a defense of resurrection. So uh, Exodus 3.6, Vayomer Anoki Elohe Avicha, Elohe Avraham, Elohe Yitzchak, Velohe Yaakov. Uh, it's it's the you can you can uh, you'll hear this phrase this sentence repeated over and over in scripture, but it's uh, God said to him, um, "I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob," and that is Jesus's defense. <laughs> he said, "Don't you remember that God appeared to Moses in a burning bush, and here's what he said to him." I am the God of your fathers, the God of, of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And, and that kind of sits back and folds his hands. <laughs> it seems <laughs> like that's his answer. Right. And, and it's not exactly, it might not be exactly clear what Jesus is doing here. Now, let me, as far as the Gospel of Mark is concerned, here's what Jesus is likely not doing. Um, we, can, we can make it as if the whole interpretation that Je what Jesus is really going for here in Exodus and quoting Exodus is that this phrase, I am, I am the God of Jacob. I am the God of, uh, I, I'm sorry, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. And so the focus has been on that, that, uh, that verb, am. So he is the God of Jacob. That means Jacob is alive, not I was the God of Jacob. So the whole interpretation has, for, for, for most of us, turns on that little phrase. Except interestingly, is is not in the Hebrew because there isn't, it doesn't happen much in Hebrew. But 
It's not in the Greek text here either that Mark uses. It, it's, it's not um, emphasizing that uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are somewhere alive. So see, Sadducees, there is a resurrection because they're still alive. That, that doesn't seem to be his argument. Um, in fact, the passage isn't really about the forefathers at all. It's more about God. And so Jesus is quoting a passage that uh, on the surface might not seem to say much about resurrection, but watch how it does. Let, let, me, let me pause there if there's something you want to jump in on, if, if there's anything that's not making sense here. No, it, it is. The, the one thing I wanted to emphasize before you go on, and I think uh, um, I, I love the way you characterized it with, you know, Jesus giving two visions and there's kind of this one where death rules and that's all that people knew. Because I think that's an important theme that we will pull yeah. out of Scripture over and over again is this New Testament view of there being, uh, I'll use the language of two cosmic realms. And yeah. there is the realm right. of the present age, right, of sin and death. And and that's totally. all people know. And, and so our imaginations are trained by that realm. They're limited by that realm. It's what we know. It's how we operate. It's, it's certainly all the Old Testament knew was that realm, except there are hints and whispers of this other age, exactly. this exactly. age to come, this well this, said. Yeah. Right. This other yep. cosmic yep. realm. And that's one of the things that the, uh, the Jewish leaders, Jewish people of Jesus, they had trouble wrapping their minds around. It's one of the things that Paul tries to explain the most. And, and ironically, it's one of the things that I think we have the hardest time wrapping our heads For around sure. is I couldn't this, agree more. Right, this cosmic yep. age has has blasted into the present age. It's available. It's here. The age of of life and a, a different way of you know operating in the world. It's it's revolutionary, and but it's here. This other cosmic yeah. realm. And yeah, so right. I just wanted to mention right. that because that's I a theme it. that's going to come up on our podcast over and over again I, is this the two realms, that. the two ages, the two, you know, cosmic realities and, and so on. Yeah. And I love you said you used the language of it whispers. It, 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 and this is, I think, Jesus's point. If you're if you're not paying attention or maybe if you're not open and you're not reading openly uh, or with an open toward the text. You mm -hmm. might miss God. God might walk right past you. And instead, what you see is text. Uh, and, and that can happen to the best of us. It happens mm. to the best of us. Uh, and, and so let, let me try to push just a little farther. What so I said what Jesus, I don't think, is doing. He's not trying to say, there is a resurrection, you Sadducees, because Moses was told that that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are alive somewhere. I don't think that's what Jesus is doing. Um, okay. And I think to understand what Jesus is doing, we have to go back to Exodus and think through the setting that those words come to Moses. And so there's a reason why God says those things to Moses, right? Uh, he himself has been... Uh, it's a kind of exile, right? He had to flee Egypt for his life. Um, and the, the promised people of God, those with whom God cut a covenant, the whole, the whole promise feels like it's in jeopardy because they are enslaved in Egypt. And so Moses, having left Egypt for fear and the, and the people of God being in bondage, cruel bondage, uh, at this stage, um, God's way of ensuring and instilling hope in Moses is to say, is to announce himself and identify himself as the God of Moses's fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now those stories, think about it, Abraham. Now, we, so not only is that comforting because the same God is with Moses, but those names, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, activate three more stories for Moses. Um, 
So it's, and especially for us as readers who let's say we've read Genesis and now we're reading Exodus and we see the great God say words like this to Moses in our minds, we're like, oh, the story of Abraham. What was God like with Abraham? Well, Abraham was an elderly, uh, you know, husband to an, uh, he was elderly and he was husband to an elderly woman who had no biological children. And through an act of God's uh, creative ability, he became a father of a biological child through an elderly barren woman. And the same with Isaac and the same with Jacob. And so you have these legacies of God's faithfulness rather than the patriarch. But God did incredible things in the lives of these three men. And he made Israel out of barrenness so that there could even be a thing called Israel. And that announcement as being the God of his fathers would activate that whole realm of unlimited possibility, right? And faithfulness and kindness. So that would be a deep encouragement, especially based on what God's going to ask Moses to go and do, which is to go confront the king of Egypt to to get Israel out of bondage. So that that whole context of the story of the patriarchs is activated for Moses so that Moses can find courage. I don't know if any of that's making sense. But that's, I think, I think that's how deep Jesus's quotation of this one line is going, that he's hearkening back to not just a verse, but the whole thing that that verse evokes. Wow. So, okay, that's that's only half of it. Okay. Okay. Keep going. So Jesus then, Jesus then, now check this out. This is, this is remarkable. Jesus takes a passage Uh, about the faithfulness of God to the forefathers who were all in a situation with barren wives. And he evokes that in a new setting now. He says, didn't you read what God said to Moses? You're asking me a question about difficulty giving birth, right? You're asking me about Um, whose wife is she, this barren woman? She had no kids. And here God comes along, (laughs) or Jesus comes along, and quotes a verse that is meant to encourage their greatest biblical author, Moses. And the encouragement is God can do anything because he's made a nation out of three barren women. Now that gets dumped onto the Pharisees' lap. And you wonder, did they understand what Jesus said? Or were they like, that was a bad answer? But, but I think what Jesus is trying to do is like, you don't understand the power of God. Like the fact that God did what he did through the patriarchs um, should alert you to the fact that death will not be a limit for what God will go on to do. And it's kind of one of these like, are you serious, Sadducees? Let me get this straight. I'm, of course, I'm putting words in their mouth, in Jesus's mouth. But I almost hear Jesus saying, let me get this straight, Sadducees. You read the first five books of the Bible. You read about the promises of God. You read about what God did with Israel, with the patriarchs. And you think that that story ends in death. You don't get it. <laughs> like Because the whole story holds out this promise of a God who can do things that burst our categories, right? And, and so I think Jesus is trying to get them to... This will sound frightening, I know, for some, but I think he's trying to get them to loosen their grip of the text a bit so that the text can breathe life into them uh, about the power of God. So for Jesus, God's one line to Moses is everything you need to know about what God will do in the future. And Mm. that is a very robust reading of the Bible. It's the kind I hope to have where I'm not just focused on lines and exegesis and defenses, but I'm taking on board the whole sweep of how God is portrayed in Scripture. So I got, yeah. I got a lot more to say about that, but let me stop there because I know. Well, I, I love what you mentioned, and I'm going to paraphrase here, but the, the danger of all you see is the text and you're yeah. actually missing God. And I think of so many times where God 
tries to get uh, his people to see that, you know, my, my thoughts are not your thoughts or right. Psalm 52, you thought I was just like you, but uh, yep. I'm not. Um, you, you know, you keep offering me sacrifices, and uh, but I want mercy and justice. And we, we can, right. it's so easy to get so locked in on the text that we actually miss what God is doing. And so there's this ironic balance there of we want to be people of the text, but, right. you know, but that not might not God. mean what we think it means. Yeah. Right. And I think that's the challenge to be an open reader uh, for whom the texts alerts us to the reality rather than it being an end in and of itself, just something to be studied and figured out. Uh, and, and, and that assumption then means that God ultimately will value the one who unlocks the code or cracks the code or something like that. And I'm caricaturing, none of us would describe our Bible reading that way, but in, in, in our, uh, in practice, I feel like that's a lot of what, um, we're tempted to do. And I love this. Um, there's, there's so much more here going on, but, but there's a, there's a, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, is another example of this. Hebrews chapter 11, you know, that whole um, litany of, you know, just people who did crazy things because they trusted God, like we call it the faith hall of fame or whatever. When it gets to Abram, Abraham, it brings up the story of when Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac. And, um, and it says Abraham is lauded in that passage for his faith because he was willing to offer Isaac as a sacrifice, and he did so. And it's, the text says he reasoned that God could give the dead back. He could bring Isaac back from the dead. And that's amazing. You think about that. Who told Abraham that God would bring back Isaac or that God even could bring back Isaac? No mm. one told him that. That's what he got out of his own encounter with God. And so no one said, like, God's going to give you your son back. But he reasoned. He's like, based on what I know about God, I believe God could give me this child back. And it turns out that was a great assumption. Like, that that's the kind of openness I think faith really is seeking. That's sort of, and again, this isn't blind. That's expectancy. Like, yeah, expectancy, exactly. And, and again, there has to be... Um, you know, that has to be set within healthy readings of the text so that we don't just say, well, I, you know, whatever, you know, I want a pair, I want, you know, the, the Jordan five racer blues just came out and I'd like a pair. <laughs> I think God can do anything, you know, like right. it's not that kind of thing, but when it comes to the will of God, when it comes to our lives and our own suffering or the suffering of others, I think the Bible's inviting us to take leaps and to trust, into I could say dream big, but that almost gets it wrong. But have an imagination, um, and and so the way I guess what we're saying here is the way Jesus reads the Bible. That's how I'd like to read the Bible, right. <laughs> because in my mind he shut these guys down. Like he yeah. just he he didn't shut them down by engaging. He shut them down by pointing out like you don't get it. You, yeah, you like etch a sketch moment, right? He shook it clean and started over. Yeah, well, that's one quote. Great. One yeah. quote. Last Go ahead, second. This man. quote is great. It, it's um, this is this is Jansen's article, which I, I mentioned already. Uses the the language of the resurrection hermeneutics, but this is it. He says, "Knowing the scriptures is not just a matter of what one reads; it is equally a matter of how one reads." And that's it for me. Like that's the whole of it. It's not just about what we're reading but our very posture in reading, what what we imagine the goal is, what we're mm. seeking to really uncover ultimately. And yeah, the goal might be to understand, you know, philology or history and all of that's really important. But the ultimate goal is that we might see God, right? I think. Yeah. Um, so I love that. It's not what we read. It's it's also how, how we read. Yeah, yeah. That, that's... That's fantastic, and it reminds me actually of um, I, I I had a professor Mark Strauss who um, oh yeah you, you know Mark Strauss and I do yeah he's written a number of uh, books and and commentaries and things and he um, 
you know, and it's ironic because we're talking here about the importance of contextualizing and reading in context and historical and uh, cultural and literary context and all of those. And he will be the first one to say those are really important. But he he wrote a book uh, and it's really getting at, but you can get lost in those things. And the primary driver in how we read is the heart of God. And so he calls right. it the heart of God hermeneutic. That's and, right. We've talked about this. Yes. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah. And so it's kind of in that same vein is, yeah, we want to do the work. We want to see these passages, but ultimately we're searching for the heart of God. And I think that's a lot of what Jesus was doing with the Sadducees, with the Pharisees is helping them see you, you've gotten so bogged down in uh, moral living and parsing out the text and, you know, trying to help others live clean lives the way you understand it. And in doing all that, you've walked right by God. You've missed yeah, exactly. who God is and who he yep. wants to be. And so I I would assume, Jason, that we can fall prey to that same uh, well, yeah, danger. Totally. totally. I, I mean, it's funny. The, we, uh, you know, you know, Genesis has been one of these, Text. Well, everyone's excited about Genesis just because it's so loaded with action, but also controversy, right? And so one of the one of the experiences I've had is, you know, there, there's so much hand wringing about making the creation accounts in Genesis chapters, well, one and then two and three, fit with scientific research. And as someone who who really wants to pay careful attention to the text and the ancient Near East and the surrounding you know, uh, you know, the, the, the Israel's neighbors and how they thought and trying to, to make sense of the ancient setting and let that text speak on its own. What's funny is my response to the overly rigid, uh, what do we call it, scientific approach or the modern approach to reading Genesis, I combated it with an overly rigid ancient approach. <laughs> and, and both of those are important discussions. But the question I think the author will authors would ask is, did you, did you hear what I said about God and all of that? And so I think, I think those ways of approaching the text can help us hear God, but the only thing is we have to go on then and hear God. We can't just stop there. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, I think this is what, this is why in my mind, you start with why we're starting with chapter 12, not to just like fast forward, but to say, look how Jesus reads the Bible Look how different it is from the way the Pharisees were reading the Bible. Okay, now let's go back to Mark one and let's let's try to let's try to hear the text like that. <laughs> right. Let's try to hear the text right. at that level with at that register, so that we're not just seeing all the, the the surprising, interesting, and and important things in the text, but afterwards we're like, oh my, oh my God, you know, yeah, literally, oh my God, there there is who our God is right there. Perfect. So, Love it. Yeah. So we've we've hit our first two points. We've put our reading glasses on. We've gotten into the time machine. We're we're running low on time here. Let, let's move on to these last Sorry. two points. Yes, please. No, no, this is great. This is what we want to do. And the funny thing, of course, Jason, is there's so much more we could say about this passage. There's so much kidding. more we could go yeah, into. So sure. we're just getting a taste here and kind of setting up for the rest of our study. Uh, but our, our third step in our hermeneutic of expectancy is to take a selfie. Mm. I think we've done a lot of that already, right? We've talked about what they would have understood, how we tend to approach the Bible a little differently. We've explained some some of the historical situation with uh, Sadducees and Pharisees. And, uh, y- you know, it's it's funny because we are like those groups in some ways. For sure. Uh, but we don't we're not always familiar with them. So we don't recognize it. Right. Oh, that's a good point. And, and actually I, I wanted to uh, read a quote. You and I have talked about this uh, a few weeks ago, but in uh, Everett Ferguson's book, the backgrounds of early Christianity, he's writing about the Sadducees and he says, and this will start to sound frighteningly familiar to today's, 
uh, sort of political milieu, but he says the Sadducees combined conservative religious attitudes with power politics. If you can imagine anybody doing that today. Right. They rejected the Pharisees' innovations and their interpretations were stricter than those of the Pharisees. Their political position, he goes on to say, and practical sense of survival perhaps led them to an openness towards certain Hellenistic cultural influences. But, Mm -hmm. and he goes on and he says, we, we lack some sources to say that for absolute certain which is important to note, but we think that's what's going on. No, I mean, that's the picture that emerges. I think he's right. Yeah. And he says they may be characterized as both conservative and compliant. After the coming of Rome, they encouraged collaboration with the ruling power and were interested in maintaining the status quo, which preserved the peace and their power and influence. And so it's interesting because you have the Sadducees who are religious nationalists in a sense. They want to preserve (laughs) power. They want to keep things the way they were, the way they are. They don't want, you know, anything Which resurrection is dangerous doctrine if you are in power because the last thing you want to arm the peasants with. (laughs) is a lack (laughs) of fear of death, right? Yeah, exactly. If you you don't want to arm your detractors with hope beyond uh, your, your own rule and reputation. So yeah, that's that's a great point. Yes. And so you you have the Sadducees, you have the Pharisees who are uh basically r- religiously conservative in the sense of they they start to think that oh, it's it's all about moral living. And right. the real problem here is is sin. If we can get all of those people out there to stop right. sinning, right, right. then will be where we need to be and God's kingdom will come. So you have this sort of very conservative religious uh, right group. You have the religious nationalists. uh, And then you have, you also have group like the zealots who are very progressive, very like, let's tear this all down and burn it down. And, uh, you know, they were a little more prone to physical violence where maybe today it's, it's more of a symbolic violence. Let's, Let's tear things down. But it's actually not a situation all that dissimilar to today. And you have these competing ideas with with followers of Jesus. And it is interesting we were noting that although we can see a lot of those echoes in our own uh, political ideologies of today, that there were Pharisees who followed Jesus, who who change yeah, their totally. way of thinking. There were zealots who followed Jesus. Yeah. We're never told that Sadducees, that there were any no, no, followers no, no. of Jesus that were Sadducee. They were was, so rooted, break. Break. Right. so rooted to their religious nationalism and view of power that although everything you said is true about what Jesus tried to get them to see about God and about his word, Right. But too much was at stake for them to to even be open to that. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, Jesus rarely challenges like doctrine with the Pharisees. That's uh, a new group. The the, uh, Pharisees. Yeah. Got to mix up there. Um, With the with these. The Pharisees were the groups that liked all the latest trends. (laughs) They blended it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, the fad. You, you <laughs> yeah, I got you. Nice. Um, yeah, but it's all Jesus is often challenging not what Pharisees believed, but how they valued and their the, the, what they prioritized. So, so you're right. I mean, and this is why it's it's dangerous to be overly critical sometimes uh, and generalize with these studies. But but the snapshots you get in Scripture when Jesus interacts with these different uh, mindsets or these different approaches to God is his is better <laughs> every, yeah. every single time. His is more robust. It's it's more faithful to the text than his interlocutors ever thought about uh, being. So, anyways, and that's that's the value, right? Of this step of taking a selfie is saying, how am yeah. I different from this text, from the people in this text? How am I like these people? 
because we can so often miss and and walk by Jesus just like they did in a lot of ways, walk by what God is doing. And so when we start to locate ourselves properly in these texts and see how we're like, how we're different, now we can start to prepare ourselves to actually apply this in a way that's correct, in in a way that's the most helpful for us, right? So, Jason, if we step into that last step, our our fourth uh, element of our hermeneutic, which is the the kingdom come, yep, the kingdom come. Uh, And we said, you know, first we look at what this means for God's people, and then what does it mean for us individually? So if you had to sum it up in, in just a few sentences, uh, what what do we take away from this? How is the kingdom coming in this passage? What, what do we as God's people collectively take away from this? Yeah, well, I don't want to overstep and say what it should mean for everyone. I know, I know for me, what this does to me is that it 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 helps me to see exactly how good it is to have Scripture. That, that scripture is pointing beyond itself in some measure, that we might see God, that we might encounter him, uh, that it might tune us, uh, at what's the, the come now fount, to tune our hearts to sing your praise, that it must, it, 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 might, it might, it helps us, um, it helps us live the kind of life God wanted. Um, but that means then that that has to be, the posture we take in coming to scripture. So I, I love what Jesus has done because it challenges the whole legalistic, overly legalistic approach. The approach, you know, you know what it is? And I don't want to offend anyone, but I think the takeaway is don't be so sure. <laughs> you know, and I know that's frightening, but don't be too sure. Like don't just sit and fold your hands and act like you've got it all figured out. Like, well, do you do you think stuff. it's coincidence, Jason, that the people who were the biggest experts on in the scriptures and were the most sure yeah. were the ones that Jesus went after the most? Yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah, right. I think, I think, and, and that is an important takeaway. That sounds, I know that sounds, that sounds more like a theological takeaway than a practical point, but it's very practical because now go back and read Deuteronomy 25 based on some of the things that we just talked about, like. Deuteronomy 25 isn't one of these passages now where it's like, oh, I, I, I read it because it's there, but it, you know, I, I like the more uh, instructive stuff. I like the more command parts of the Bible that tell me what to do. Well, Deuteronomy 20, 25, which seems to be like something irrelevant, a group of law uh, uh, laws about, or a collection, uh, a, a, a block of laws about, um, deceased and widows and raising up offspring seems like that has no practical value but lo and behold it says something amazing about god so it it is practical at least in terms of bible reading that that would be my defense i guess so we we walk away from this learning to be humble readers who are looking for God in the text more than just getting locked in on the text itself. We can start to draw boundaries so much around the text that we miss as a collective what God is doing. And and I would add to that, I don't know if you have a thought on this, I, I think the, the reason that we talk about the kingdom come like what is what is the takeaway for God's people first? And then what is my takeaway is we often skip the, what is our part in this? We just go right to what does this mean for me? And I think Mm. we do this in scripture reading in the modern context is because we all have Bibles. We all have, you know, Bible apps. We all have access to the Bible on our own and we've completely individualized scripture reading and removed the community ethic out of it, where we read scripture together, where we wrestle with it together, uh, where we 
come up with the same meaning. It's almost now like, well, I do my reading and study over here and you do yours over there. And, you know, you get out of right. it. You get oh, out of good it. point. And, and yes. we, it's hard to be community then um, because we're not reading it together. Yeah, dude, that that is such a great point. It just it made me think about what you said at the beginning, the the invitation to read the the whole gospel according to Mark before what is it, next week? Yeah, Th- that that's what it is. And, and this is the thing: like these, this kind of like seeing God in the text isn't going to come all at once. Like I had a quiet time, but it didn't work because um, <laughs> it probably won't. Um, you're not going to like every time you crack the Bible, you're not going to be like, there, I saw God. Holy cow, there he is. Yeah, like, you're not you going to climb up to the mountain of the Lord. No. Right. So it's more like what you what you said about, you know, you're reading Mark and it's it's more like after you've read and you, you've spent time with Mark just because we're on Mark. Say, so what does Mark say about God? What what emerges from what we read in Mark? Not the little bits here and there, but look at the portrayal. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Like in the truest sense of the word, it's awesome how Mark describes God or Genesis or Deuteronomy or whatever. And I think. Again, as we steep ourselves in these in these biblical texts and in the narratives within these texts, that starts to happen. So I don't want to give the false impression that like, okay, you got it. Are you open? Okay, now go read your Bible. It's going to work. I think openness is hard because it's something you have to sustain. You have to hold on to it. You have to read even when it feels like nothing is happening. The magic isn't working. But if you remain open to the text... You know, they've used those analogies of the the pictures that you look at and then they come into focus after you stare for a long time. Maybe something like that's going on. I don't know. Mm. Yeah. No, that's great stuff. Um, Love it. That's kind of a start. There's a ton more that we could say, but this, I think, gets us kicked off in the right direction. We'll come back to this theme throughout the book of Mark. You're going to see themes uh, throughout the book of Mark that uh, we will bring out from the text that we'll stress to try to help us see God and see what Jesus is doing in his ministry and how Mark is characterizing this. And then there'll be some themes that we pull out repeatedly throughout the course of uh, this podcast that will just be part of being trained readers that reflect Jesus Jason, any final words before we sign off here? Uh, no, I hardly noticed that my mouth is numb. So that must have you, been You did great. Fun. You've been a trooper. We're going to shut it down for this episode, and you can go uh, ice your mouth and finish watching <laughs> Sing 2 with Hannah. Yeah, yeah, good. All right, we'll see you next week. If you're enjoying our podcast, we'd love it if you would like, comment, subscribe, or even leave us a review. You can also send us a note to iconpodcast at gmail.com. That's E-I-K-O-N podcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to reach us, and when I say us, I mean Michael. Definitely direct all of your questions to Michael. We want to give a big shout out to Dale Noise Productions for our music. And we couldn't do this show without our producer, Derek Schneider. This has been the Icon Podcast. We'll catch you guys next week.